0: Hello, I'm Tristan Abbey, Editor-at-Large of the ALEA Review of Books. This is Episode 6 of the ALEA Review Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Lara Alcock of the Mathematics Education Center at Loughborough University. She is the author most recently of How to Think About Abstract Algebra, published in 2021 by Oxford University Press. She is also the author of several books with a similar theme, How to Think About Analysis, How to Study as a Mathematics Major and Mathematics Rebooted, A Fresh Approach to Understanding. Dr. Alcock, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me, Tristan.
0: It seems to me that your most popular book might be Mathematics Rebooted. What exactly about math needed rebooting? And when we think about these other books, how to study abstract algebra, how to study analysis, what went wrong in the field?
1: Oh, I think that's several questions. Yeah. So Mathematics Rebooted is not really part of a series in the same way that the other three books could be thought of that way because the other three are all they're all aimed at undergraduate mathematics majors as you would call them in in North America here in the UK people study for a mathematics degree and they specialize much earlier so they go to university just to study mathematics or perhaps maths and physics or something like that. So those three are all aimed at people making that transition and in particular the transition from what you might call sort of algorithmic mathematics that many people have learned in school to more abstract and formal mathematics, at least on the pure side in university. Regarding Mathematics Rebooted, that's more sort of intended to be a popular maths book, although I didn't realise how nervous the word popular maths would make me until I wrote it and it was published. Because There's no <laughs> such thing
0: isn't... as popular mathematics.
1: Well, it was more sort of like, what if it isn't popular, you know? So it's interesting that you would say that that's the most popular one, because actually the how to study for a mathematics degree sells well here in the UK. But regarding rebooting, I mean, the, the maths itself doesn't need rebooting, of course. it's. I, I think in some sense, many people's understanding of it might do, though. So the world is full of intelligent and very educated adults who know a lot about many subjects, but for whom mathematics never quite came together or perhaps came together up to a point. But then they sort of lost track of how it worked and maybe they studied dutifully after that and did well, but they never really understood it. You know, never really got a sense of why things are the way they are in mathematics. And so what I wanted to do with that book was to try and provide some sense of that. So each chapter, the main ones, starts with a very simple idea from kind of primary level elementary, as you'd call it, level of mathematics, and then takes a fairly rapid tour upwards through related ideas to arrive at something that you would not normally hit until many systems kind of lower level undergraduate mathematics, at least. So that people can see, yeah, this is how these things fit together in a way that they may not have thought about when they were busy learning things for tests and exams. That was the intention, anyway.
0: I can certainly relate to that. I think it was probably with trigonometry and pre-calculus where I started to lose the thread, where it became much harder to really understand what I was doing, even if I could do it.
1: Yeah, and then it becomes a bit meaningless. It becomes a bit boring for many people. It becomes very hard work to try and learn things that you don't really understand. And you miss many of the things that people who understand higher-level mathematics think are beautiful about it in that case. But, you know, there's so many people who are very capable of understanding more than they did in school. And I just thought it'd be nice to try and provide a way into some of that in a way that that others might understand it.
0: Well, you've been at this for about a decade. What has been the reception from students and teachers to your books?
1: Yeah, it's been broadly very positive. I mean, I only, I only just realised that it's nearly a decade, actually, which seems seems amazing. because It doesn't seem that long ago since I did the first one. Yeah. So it's been broadly well received by students and teachers and people who write reviews, both in formal places and in informal places like booksellers, websites and so on. So the ones for undergraduates, I mean, to me, from working in undergraduate maths education as a researcher, There was very clearly a gap in that that there's a big jump from in the UK school to university mathematics and in the US from sort of lower level to upper level math courses for many people. And that even the books that try to bridge that gap often don't manage it because they're written by very experienced mathematicians in a way that is just a bit unreadable or very hard work to read, because it's very dense and very concentrated in concepts to undergraduates, or to new undergraduates, or people making that transition. So I wanted to provide something that took account of the research and did a lot of the psychological side of it as well, explaining, look, you probably think about this this way, you're going to need to change your thinking in order to get a better grip on what definitions, theorems, and proofs mean, and how they work in this type of mathematics. And that this is perfectly explainable to intelligent people at this level, it's just that people don't think to say it. So that was sort of the intention. And I think that's been broadly borne out as something that people do value. I mean, not universally, right? So these kinds of things, you're never going to hit, they're they're in some sense self-help books. And there are always going to be people who just manage that transition perfectly well for whatever reason. They're either super bright or they've had some good teaching early on that's alerted them to these things early on. And and occasionally somebody writes something that says, oh, this is stupid. Nobody needs this. But then for every one of those, there's 99 who say, this is great. It changed my life. It improved my understanding so much. So that's for me, that's a perfectly, you know, if that ends up being the balance, I'm totally happy with that.
0: I think the word lurking here is intuition. When I think about mathematics education, it seems intuitive to me as a layman who is not a mathematics teacher, that intuition should be central to the field. we really trying to get at what exactly we're doing, understanding, visualizing. When I think about Gauss and Newton and Euler, surely they must have had quite a bit of intuition to accomplish what they did. Yet, were they taught intuition? Were they born with it? I don't know. Over to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a massive question, right? And I don't think people even agree on what intuition actually means, never mind on how to promote it. And certainly, the great mathematicians will indeed, of course, be very capable intuitively but I think many people for whatever reason are not introduced to mathematics with too many different representations and you really need a few different representations I think to have an intuitive grasp of things some things might make more sense to more people for me a lot of the intuition comes from visual representations in the sort of way that you're describing but that's not the case for everyone it's perfectly possible to have a good intuitive understanding in a more sort of algebraic way you know to have a really solid grasp of how algebra ought to work for instance so that you can use your intuition in that kind of mode as well and as i say i think just a lot of people because because of the way math is taught in school and because people are children and they don't pay attention all the time and they don't they miss things i think it's very easy to miss that sense of different ways you might think about things that might give you more power than learning to follow an algorithm only for instance and that might be less mix-upable because they have more personal meaning to you so I don't think it's been lost, but I think that for many people, large chunks of it are not as well developed as they could be. And I, I really wouldn't want to say that my way of thinking about things is the intuitive way of thinking about things, because I don't think that's true. It's I think these things are largely, eh, not, mm, at least to some extent, personal.
0: And it's hard to get more personal than psychology. You take the latest findings from psychological research and incorporate them into your work. I wonder if you can give a listener or a reader a study tip or two about calculus or abstract algebra? Are these the same tips for each field? Does each field have its own tips? How does that work?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I always hesitate when people ask for tips because I really think that it's, it's a bad idea to give the impression that if you just do one or two simple things, everything will become easy because it isn't. Undergraduate mathematics isn't easy. If, if it was easy, everyone would be a math major. And go off to you know a very lucrative career on the back of that. It's, it's not easy, and there's nothing I can do or say that's going to make it easy. So I don't want to give that impression, right? But I do think that there's a lot that we know from psychology. There's sort of two sides to it for me. One is understanding what the game is. So understanding what does it mean to have a formal theory of mathematics? What is a definition? Why do you need to pay attention to them so closely? What are theorems? What do they do for us? What are proofs? What do they do for us? So that when people start presenting these things to you, you have a good sense of how you should be reading it. So you're not just expecting everything to be another procedure to learn. And the other side is really just self and time management. And understanding that you need to study regularly, you need to study effectively, and knowing what that means. So, understanding, for instance, that not just reading things again, but reading with a view to self explaining is important. Things like making sure you don't go down a rabbit hole of losing tons of time trying to do something that you're not really succeeding at. It would be much better simply to make a note of it and go and ask somebody who's more experienced than you are, perhaps. And that so that you're using your study time effectively. And you're not wasting a lot of time. And I think that that most people know these things, but they perhaps don't always have them in mind when they're planning or when they're actually trying to get something done in a given week when there's a lot else going on in their lives. And so it's worth having some notions in mind about this to sort of bring yourself back on track when you get a bit lost or when you get a bit behind and you start to get stressed.
0: And time management takes us to the final question of this interview. I imagine you probably don't have a lot of time to play around with fiction, but- What's your favorite novel?
1: It's really hard to choose, right? I'm sure everybody says that as well, but I was if I had to pick one, I'd say my favorite novel is Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch. I'm really jealous of that sort of writing. It's so vivid, it jumps off the page. I feel like you feel like you're there. The sense of place is extremely strong. But for the same sort of reason, I read Annie Proulx The Shipping News about once a year in the winter. There's just something so atmospheric and lovely about it. And I really like I've always really liked John Irving's writing. Those are the sort of novels, but it's hard to choose. I mean,
0: (laughs) what about a favorite mathematician?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I feel like I should have one and I'm not sure I do. People write very differently in maths and some, some maths books, popular maths books are more like history and some are more like puzzles and so on. The ones that I I think probably I would say have most influenced me were actually ones that I read when I was about 17 because they were given to me by a teacher. Very good teacher, George Sutcliffe who gave me W.W. W. Sawyer's Prelude to Mathematics. And I d- I'm not going to get the pronunciation right, but Cornelius Langschoss's Numbers Without End. And those were actually a l- quite a lot more in style, like the types of books that I've tried to write that really walk you through the ideas about mathematics and how they fit together. I also read James Gleick's Chaos around that time, which is more of a sort of historical book. But I don't know, I think all of those probably have influenced what I've ended up doing, although that is a great many years later.
0: Well, I'll add a few of those to my list, and thanks so much for joining us.
1: Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you very much, Tristan. I've enjoyed it.
0: This interview was conducted on June 18th, 2021. I'm Tristan Abbey with the ALEO Review of Books. Join us online at www.aleoreview.com. That's www.aleoreview.com.